Good morning, everyone. It's great to see y'all here this morning. Glad you could join us and, and be here together. And if you're joining us online, so so grateful um, that you're able to do that. And and uh, yeah, just excited to to be together today and learn more about the Lord together. <clears throat> Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. The most difficult, cantankerous, and occasionally mean-spirited neighbor that the Lord has ever, uh, ever called me to, to love was, was a man named Jim. Now, Jim lived in the basement apartment uh, of a complex that I was actually manager of for a while when I lived in Denver, Colorado, um, while I was attending seminary. And, uh, and the best way that I can describe Jim is, you know, those fairy tales where you have the troll that lives under the bridge and he's kind of like scary and snarling at people as they go by. Uh, that, that's basically, that was basically my first impression of, of Jim. Uh, because his, his apartment was in the basement, uh, his windows were built high into his walls. But if you were standing outside, they were actually like right at ground level and they were kind of like shorter little cube windows. And so Jim uh, would spend a large portion of his days uh, at that window and looking at everyone as they walked by and just scare the absolute breath out of people as, as they walked by because he'd, you know, shout out like, hey, hello. Like he would do that every, like the first, before I really realized that he lived down there, like he would do that. I'd kind of jump and look, like look and try to figure out who was talking to me. And so, you know, he'd cry, cry out hello or, or he, he'd yell out some sort of complaint uh, or he'd tell people that he was going to report them for some perceived minor infraction like parking in the wrong place or, or just doing something that he didn't like. And uh, so, yeah, so Jim was this, this odd guy that lived down there and, and he, he was on 24-7 uh, oxygen concentrator, so like one of those machines that creates extra oxygen for you. He had, he had to live with one of those and so he couldn't really leave his apartment a whole lot and, and he didn't have a lot of other options for, for places to go or be. And so most days as I carried out my manager duties, uh, I, would, I would run into Jim and he would uh, let me know what he had seen that day going on in the neighborhood or, or remind me of some things that I could be doing better. Uh, with, with my job, which I just loved and uh, looked forward to every day. Um, but the honest truth is I, I avoided Jim as, as much as I could. I, I occasionally stopped by his place to fix something, and uh, I always made sure that the door to the apartment complex and, and his truck in particular was clear as snow uh, on the days where it would snow in Denver. But besides these small, minimally compassionate efforts that, that I gave, I, I did my best to steer clear uh, of, the, of the Ida Street apartment troll. But, uh, but then one night, the entire neighborhood lost power, uh, including our complex. And, uh, and so as I was going through kind of figuring out what I needed to do as manager and what, what I needed to pay attention to, the thought occurred to me that uh, Jim, you know, might be in trouble. He might be in danger. His, his life depended on that oxygen machine, which was plugged into the wall for power, and, and now we didn't have power. And so I got worried about him, so I picked up the phone, and I called him, and he didn't answer. So I, you know, called him again, and he didn't answer, and, you know, left a message just saying, Jim, I, I want to make sure you're okay. Uh, let me know how you're doing. And I kind of got a little worried as, as the hours went by, but finally Jim called me and he, he thanked me for, for checking in with him and said, machine's got a battery back up and I've got extra bottles and so I'll, I'll be okay, you know, until the power comes back on. So I was like, okay, Jim, that's, that's great. I just, I just wanted to know how you were doing. Um, and the funny thing was that after that call, in the days and the, in the weeks to come after that call, uh, Jim's attitude toward me started to change a little bit. He, uh, he began to open up a little bit, and he did a little bit less complaining. He still complained of things, but a little bit less complaining, and told me a little bit more about his life, um, and you know, started mentioning his kids and his siblings, and, and every once in a while kind of shared a story from what was kind of a, actually a, a kind of crazy and interesting life that he had lived. And, uh, and mostly what, what was happening was I was becoming someone to Jim who he was willing to open up to. Um, that, that call had, had thawed something in his heart toward me, and, and all of a sudden Jim was someone who, who was willing to open up to me and, and engage me in a little bit more of a, a friendship and a relationship. 
But here is, is where in my story I have to confess to something pretty, pretty terrible. I still did my best to avoid Jim. Despite his attempts to connect with me and, and get to know me, I, I still saw him as this, this kind of problematic, this rough tenant that I just had to deal with each day. And, and I wasn't really looking for, for a new friend. I wasn't really looking to make a connection with somebody. And I didn't really feel like I had time to spend on non-job interactions, you know, spending time with Jim. And so I, I continued to just kind of steer clear and kind of keep him at a relational, you know, arm's distance because I felt like I had other things I needed to do that, that were more important than that, that connection. So in other words, I, in this instance, chose not, chose not to love my neighbor while in seminary, studying to become a pastor, a person who professionally tells people to love their neighbor, which, as you can see, there's a problem growing here in, uh, in my heart. So, uh, so one day, uh, I was in class, and a professor was actually asking us, you know, who are you praying for, especially who are you praying for that doesn't know the Lord or that might be far from God? And as my fellow students started, you know, raising their hands and, and sharing their experiences and, and who they were praying for, I started having this panicked conversation in my head of like, well, I, I don't know that I'm praying for anybody like that. And I'm, I'm not sure I know anybody like that right now. Like, I've got all this stuff going on with church and I've got all this stuff going on with classes and seminary. Like, how am I supposed to find time to go out there and, and, and rub shoulders with folks and in places where, you know, where there are non-believers? And so as my head's having this conversation, my heart pipes in, and it's really the Spirit of God working within my heart with the answer, well, what about Jim? Like, Jim seems like a guy who could use someone to be a friend, you know, could use, seems like a guy who could use some care, some compassion, certainly could use some prayer. And somewhere in my mind, this, this very small, petulant, uh, defeated voice tried to, tried to respond, and it started out with, a, well, yeah, but, and then it was just cut off by the presence of this overwhelming conviction. Jim is my neighbor. Jim is my literal neighbor. Jim is someone who has occasionally, although, although roughly and with difficulty, tried to connect with me about more than surface level things. So why was I avoiding him? What possible yeah but did I really think could excuse me from obedience to the greatest commandment God has ever given? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For the past few weeks here on Sunday mornings and in our day-to-day -day lives, the practices of prayer and fasting, we have been asking God to, to show us, seeking God and asking him to show us uh, if there's anything in our hearts that is keeping us from loving him well or anything in our hearts that is keeping us from loving one another well, the, the body of Christ, our fellow brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus. Is there anything in our hearts that is keeping us from engaging in, in those loving relationships? Because here, here at Faith, we believe that to love God and to love one another are, are essentials to any life of discipleship. It's, it's the sort of things you have to do if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus. But this morning, we're going to talk about a third essential commitment to being a disciple, and that's this command to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, the idea of loving your neighbors as, you, as yourself is, is found throughout Scripture. It's in both the Old and New Testaments, but it's perhaps most powerfully captured in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in, what, in, in a, a couple of verses that we've come to call the greatest commandment. And each gospel presents a similar situation, all right? Jesus is in discussion with some of the, the best theological professionals and, and, and teachers of his day. And in Matthew and Mark, it says that an expert of the law steps forward to challenge Jesus to a debate 
asking a, a question, asking him to debate one of the hottest topics of first century Judaism, which is this question of what is the greatest commandment? What in, in, in the five first books of the, of the law can be, can be reduced down to the greatest and the most important commandment? So for us, that's looking at the first five books of the Old Testament. And so the, the teacher's question was, what's most important? All right, what, what do we really need to, to understand? And in this, this stunning act of theological interpretation, Jesus does something that biblical scholars say had never been done before. All right, he takes the command to love God, our command to be sure that we love God, which was a common answer to this question. And then he combines it with his command to love our neighbor. And so he brings both of these commands together into this one, this one super, super command, this super important uh, life-changing command. And he gives each of them equal weight and equal importance and therefore an equal obligation on our behalf for obedience. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think as Christians, we often feel like we've got a pretty good grasp on the first half of that great commandment, right? The, this idea that we need to love the Lord with our whole life. And we don't get it perfectly. That's always going to be a work in progress. But we've got a lot of things that we can do, that we can go out and find that help us work toward that goal. All right, we've got corporate worship. We've got gathering together on a Sunday morning and, and worshiping together. We've got Bible studies and times in prayer and things like our, our rooted discipleship experience. And, and we've got seminars and workshops and conferences and online videos. We have all this stuff developed around the idea of, of needing to improve our relationship with God. And that's awesome. And I would never tell anyone to stop pursuing those things. I want you to, to invest in having a great relationship with the Lord. But when it comes to loving our neighbors as ourselves, are we as on top of that command as we ought to be? Do you, do you think personally that you have a habit of looking out for, of trying to connect with, of trying to seek out and establish relationships with people uh, who, who, are, who are around you, who God has placed in your life, especially those who might not know him? who might not have yet come to know the Lord, who might need to, 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 to find out about him for the first time or have somebody really introduce them to, to who he is and what he's like. I think for a lot of Christians, and obviously myself included, our answer is, is far too often that we really don't have a consistent way of reaching out to our neighbors. Right? We don't have a plan to, to get that done. And it's especially, it especially gets hard when those neighbors might be people that are outside of our normal social groups right? or, or the normal people that we might seek out or try to spend time with. And far too many of us probably also have the attitude that I had toward Jim of just really, I don't have time. Or I, I, I don't have, you know, the, I have too much else to do, so I don't have the time or the space or the capacity to reach out or connect with this person. It's just not something that I can, I can do right now. Here's the problem with that attitude. Jesus, Jesus ranked the command to love our neighbors as ourselves right alongside the command to love God. That's how much he values seeking out others in love. And in the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus brings these two commands together, he does something that's, that's pretty incredible. He says something pretty amazing. So back in Matthew 22, verse 37, again, we see that he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 40, he says, All the law and prophets, all of the law and prophets, Hang on these two commands. All right, so the, the teacher had asked, what is the greatest commandment of the law? But Jesus comes back and says, it's not just the greatest commandment in the first five books of, of what we would call the Old Testament, but the whole thing is summed up in these two commandments, in, in loving God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so 
all of the, our obedience to the Old Testament is wrapped up in paying attention to these commands, which means that loving your neighbor is an essential part and an essential foundation to the rest of obedience, right? If we can't commit to loving our neighbors, then it's very possible that the other things that we're going to try to do will be done in vain. This is further illustrated in the comments that we find from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. After he gives his, his answer to the what is the greatest commandment there in that gospel, uh, the, the person that had asked Jesus comes back and he says, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So here Jesus affirms that, that burnt offerings and sacrifices, these things that we do, cannot take the place of our commitment, our command to love. So doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes, reading all the right books, writing all the right checks, following our Bible, you know, our Bible reading in a year plan, all of these great things that we can do cannot replace our call and our command to love the people that God has put in our lives. It's like the Apostle Paul once wrote, without love, we're nothing more than, than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if we're going to do discipleship, if we're going to say that we are followers of Jesus, then we have to find a way to love the people around us. We have to find a way to want to love our neighbors. And real quick, let's, let, let's define this idea of what it means to love our neighbor, right? Now, we could talk for hours and hours on this phrase. There are books and books and books and books published on this idea. It's, it's, it's easy to, to dive deeply into all of this, but for, for simplicity's sake, I'm going to suggest this morning that to love your neighbor, to love your neighbor means to strive to do what is best for them in both word and deed, whether or not it is deserved, even if it requires sacrifice. Right? To love your neighbor is to do what is best for them, <clears throat> And to do what is best for them in both word and deed, whether or not it is deserved, even if it requires sacrifice. Now, I got to that definition. I, I, I made that up this week, so it's not going to be like tucked in the back of your Bibles or anything. You're not going to find exactly that somewhere as, as the clear definition of, of this term. But the way that I got to this definition is really looking at that word love. All right, and that word love there in, in all three Gospels is the word agape. And agape is, is the word for love in, in Greek that we say when, when God is love, it's, it's God is agape. God is, it, it's this idea that in 1 Corinthians 13, agape love is defined by things, by patience and kindness, and boldly declared as one of the greatest virtues that is never going to pass away. This love is something, something that strives. All right, it's something that defines and directs our words and our actions. It pushes us to share things like grace and mercy and empathy, understanding, truth, and forgiveness with others. Our love for our neighbor is ultimately based on God's love for us, all right, in, in looking at his words and his deeds toward us. And when it was everything that he did for us, when it was absolutely not deserved, and required and always requires great sacrifice on his part. To love your neighbor is to strive to do what is best for them in word and deed, whether or not it is deserved, even if it requires sacrifice. This means your words will be affirming. Your actions will be compassionate. Your efforts will be based not on their merit, but on the truth that they are made in the image of God, and therefore they are worthy of your time and your attention and your neighborly affection. Your costs will be counted as worth it even if you know that they can never be repaid or reciprocated. 
you will lo- your love for your neighbor will end up looking a lot like Jesus' love for you. Now, in the, gospel, <clears throat> in the Gospel of Luke, there is an interesting twist to the story where the, the greatest commandment is shared. And there's actually a teacher of the law that comes to Jesus and, uh, and asks him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus asks him, well, how do you read it? And he responds with this, with this uh, you know, amazing phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, that's right. And so my personal theory is this guy had heard Jesus teach this like somewhere else, and then he caught up with Jesus later, and he's like, now I've got the answer, and I'm going to score some brownie points here and, and be able to, to roll out the exact answer. But then, then the teacher presses a little bit further, and he says, well, well who is my neighbor? Right? He's looking for a definition of who exactly it is he's supposed to love. And we don't have time to dive into the text where, where, this, where, where Jesus pulls this out, and so I'm just going to summarize what, what comes next. It will be part of the, the devotions later this week. So if you're getting our 21 days of prayer and fasting emails, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan will be talked about there. But a very quick summary of how Jesus answers this guy's question is he tells a story. And he says, in this story, a guy is going down a road and he gets beat up. Or he gets beat up, bloodied, knocked unconscious, left for dead on the side of the road. And then eventually two religious professionals pass by, people that worked in the temple. And they decide that they don't have time, they don't want to deal with this. And so they leave the guy on the side of the road. And then eventually a a Samaritan merchant comes by and he sees this guy and he goes, oh my gosh, this guy needs help. So he stops and he he puts the guy in his donkey and he gets him into town. He pays for the medical attention he needs. He pays for a room that he needs for for the whole time that that he needs to recover. And so it becomes very obvious by the end of the story that the Samaritan is is the guy who's who's shown great neighborly love to, uh, to this man. So it's a great little story, and a lot of us have heard it before. Even if, even if you're not a believer, you've probably heard of the story, or at least of the idea of the Good Samaritan. It's the person who does the right thing toward, toward somebody else. But right at the beginning of the story in Luke 10, right at the beginning of, beginning of the story, there's, there's a detail, a way that Jesus sets up this whole scene that, that helps us understand the definition of who our neighbor is. So in Luke 10, verse 30, it's right, right as he starts the story, Jesus says, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him for dead. So the key thing to pick up here is that Jesus never gives any details as to the identity of this man. All right, since he was stripped of all his clothes and he was beaten up, he was knocked unconscious. There's nothing left on this guy to help anyone understand who he is, where he's from, his, his culture, his ethnicity, his religion, his occupation. There's nothing except for a beaten and bloodied man in need. And so until this moment, Jews would, would understand this idea of loving your neighbor as something that happened kind of within their social and cultural community. Okay, they had other commands that, that led them to be sure that they were kind and, uh, and compassionate toward those outside that bubble. But the, the incredible neighborly love that the Samaritan put on display was thought to be something that was reserved kind of for, for those inside of their direct circle of influence. But Jesus, in telling the story, changes that understanding forever. Because it's very clear in the story that being a good neighbor is loving people, is making that neighborly love available to everyone, all right? Jesus clearly made it so that you couldn't tell the identity of this man because it doesn't matter. Jesus' whole point is that we are going to be ready to love everyone who comes into our life, everyone that God places around us. And so when we think about loving our neighbor, our, our culture doesn't matter. Their, their religion doesn't matter. Their circumstances don't matter. Their, their ethnicity doesn't matter. Their race doesn't matter. To a certain degree, their history doesn't matter. Our neighbor love is meant to be ready to be shared with everyone that God puts in our life. And this is often going to include, especially going to include those people who are far from God. 
and who don't know Jesus. And so this passage directs us toward outreach and evangelism. This passage gives us a drive, gives us a reason to be ready to love people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, which is the best thing we have to give to anyone. Now, one caveat that I do want to mention, and I don't have time to to dive deeply into this, but it is an important point to make, an important thing to remember, is that our love for our neighbors does come with healthy boundaries. All right, and there are times in your life where it's very possible that you're going to be the neighbor of someone, you're going to have somebody in your close proximity, that it is not safe and it is not smart for you to be the leading presence of love in their lives. What I want you to understand is that God understands that and that that's, that's okay to admit and identify. And your work at that point is probably going to be working on your ability to, to love them from, from a distance, uh, work on, on your ability to, to repair whatever is going on there and, and, uh, and work on establishing love for them that way. But the reason we have this body of Christ is so that even if you have to be someone who's on the sidelines and doing that interpersonal work and praying for this person and praying for what it ha- may have happened between you two, the rest of the body of Christ can be prepared to be the presence of love in their life. And so you don't have to charge into every single uh, opportunity, every single situation. What you want to do is be sure that you're listening to the Lord to whether or not you are the appropriate person to be that leading presence. We want everyone to experience the love of Christ in the church, but there are going to be situations where you may have to pull back, and God understands that. There's a lot more I could say on this, uh, but I wanted to be sure that was said this morning in in some capacity, because I know a lot of people struggle and deal with with that, that idea. So we know the greatest commandment leads us to love our neighbors, all right, striving to do what, whatever is best for them in word and deed, uh, whether or not it's deserved, and, 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 and even if it requires great sacrifice from us. And we understand that this command to love our neighbors includes everyone. We want to look on everyone that we encounter and that we meet with as an opportunity, as, as somebody we might be able to, to share the love of Christ with. So we're left with the question, well, how do we go about this? What, what, what's a way that we can engage this process and pursue this incredible calling of love? Well, here at Faith, through our rooted discipleship experience and in some of our life groups, we've begun to use something that's called the BLESS model, right? B-L-E-S-S, the BLESS model of, of, of reaching out to folks. And it's a really simple tool, and the whole point of it is just to give you a framework to, to kind of think about how am I going to engage other, other people in this process of, of wanting to love them well, love them as a neighbor. It kind of helps you keep things on the front burner, keep, keep the folks around you in your life on, on, as a front burner issue, as someone to, to reach out to. So if you bless someone, you begin with prayer, <clears throat> listen with care, eat together, serve in love, and share your story. Begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve in love, and share your story. So the, the big piece here is this beginning with prayer, because everything about our outreach, everything about our evangelism, everything about the opportunities that we pursue in order to connect with folks and, and share our lives and share what we know about, about the Lord, everything about that has to start with prayer. Because that's how we kind of, we tune into what God's already doing and what God already thinks and knows and, and loves about this person. And so when you begin with prayer, you start praying for somebody that, that their spiritual curiosity might be stoked up, that, they, that God might lead them to, to be spiritually curious and spiritually hungry and, and want to pursue the truth. But then you also pray for yourself that you would have the kind of love and the kind of care and the kind of compassion that, that God has toward this person. And as those two, as those prayers kind of do their work in your life, you might also be led to an opportunity where you can talk to this person and say, you know, tell them like, hey, I'd love to pray for you. Is there anything that I can pray for? And that might be a prayer that you say later in private as, as, you, as you pray for this person. That may be something that they're willing to do right there. You have to kind of read the situation. Everyone's different and all of those relationships are different. But the key here is that you want to, you want to commit first to a consistent life of prayer for these people that you reach out to. 
The second step there is just listen with care, all right? And this is just kind of like basic relation stuff, relationships, relationship stuff, right? Uh, what you want to do is you want to be sure that you're listening. You're genuinely interested in these people. We don't, we don't go out as kind of a bait and switch and just running around and, and trying to look for the opportunity just to speak the gospel. You really want to get to know this person. And so you're going to listen with care. You're going to pay attention to the things that they have to say. Uh, you're going to remember the things that they have to say. You're, you can log some of the stuff back in your mind as, as you think about how to pray for them. But you're going to be someone who genuinely listens uh, to, these, to these people that you're getting to know. The idea of eating together, you, may, you could put an asterisk next to this one because obviously uh, during COVID, eating together is a little bit of a challenge. It's not always something that's, that's available to us. But the idea is you're going to find a way to spend some quality extended time together. And eating is just an easy way to do that because everybody eats and it usually takes us at least 30 minutes or so you know, to, to grab lunch or something. And so uh, you know, grab a meal with them, share some coffee, find some opportunity for that, you know, invite them over for dinner. Now, if it's appropriate, after we're all vaccinated, if, that, if that's what we need to wait for. Um, but, but ultimately, what, we, what, we're, what we're looking for is just an opportunity to spend extended time together with these people and, and, and get to know them and, and continue to establish the building of that relationship. The, the next step is to serve in love. And then with that is not only do you serve them in love, but you're willing to be served in love as well. All right, so the idea is that you're getting to know them. You're, you're starting to understand more about their life. You find ways that you might be able to serve them, either big ways or small ways, but you're also, op- also open to being served by them because there are people that have gifts and there are people that have strengths and talents and skills, and, and it's dignifying and it's relationship building to allow yourself to be served by them as well because we want to create a two-way street. We want to create a relationship where things flow back and forth. It's not just you doing things for, for them all the time. And so being served in love and serving love is, is an aspect of, of our outreach and our evangelism. And then finally, share your story. This is, this is where at some point along the way, you want to start talking about what, what your life is like and what, what God has done. All right, and this could, be, this could be sharing the gospel. Like if you get an opportunity to share the gospel in full, that's awesome. <laughs> Take that opportunity. But this could also just be sharing stories of God's faithfulness along the way and, and giving little, little, uh, little pieces of information or little, little stories about what God has done and how he's been faithful in your life. And then as you share those stories, you help connect what you've experienced to what God might want to do in this person's life. And they start to see how, how a relationship with the Lord might be something that, that, that helps them and, and is beautiful and wonderful for them as well. Begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve in love, and share your story. It's just five simple ways to kind of map out how you might engage with your neighbor. Now, for some of you, you're like, yeah, I do all that stuff. It's great. It's nice to have, you know, words to put to it, but I'm already engaged with that. And, and I, to that, I would say, keep going. Like, that's awesome. I love that you do that. Other, others of you are like, that was way too much. I, I don't remember what letter is where and if L comes first or E or what S is am I supposed to do at this point? And it's kind of going way over your head. That's okay too, because that was a lot of information all at once. And the big thing that I want today, the big thing that I want moving forward for our church is to really look at that first one, that first aspect of begin with prayer. And what I'd love for everyone today to commit to is either, either today or over the next few days, pick one person in your life. Pick one person in your life who you know is far from the Lord, who, who maybe doesn't know God or maybe has walked away from the Lord, and start praying for them. Start praying for that one person to, to be spiritually curious. And start praying for yourself to, to have a heart of understanding for them and a heart of love, the same kind of heart of love that God has for them. And commit to praying for that person for 30 days. All right, if everybody in our church was praying for a non-believer for 30 days, I think God would do some pretty amazing things. And so what I want to encourage you all to do is either, if you know that person, write them down and start, and start praying for them over these next 30 days. If you don't know a person, if you're like me, when I was 
you know, back in seminary and thinking about, I don't know anybody, then go to the Lord and ask him to reveal who in your life you might be able to commit to praying for in this way. And bring, for, bring that forward to the Lord. And let's see what God does over the next month in our church as we begin to pray for those that, that may be far from him. Well, I want to let you know what happened, uh, happened with Jim. Um, back in seminary, I, I didn't know the blessed model, but it's, it's a thing that's built on biblical principles. So I was, I was tuned in enough to what was going on and listening to my professors enough to know that I got to start praying for this guy. And so I did start praying for Jim. I, I, I prayed for him and, and some of the things I knew were happening in his life. I prayed for myself and repented a lot and asked God to change my heart and that I might be, uh, might be warmer and kinder and more interested in Jim. And, and over time, that started to happen. And as I interacted with Jim, our conversations got longer, and uh, we asked each other more questions, and I listened with care, and, and, and I sat there, and sometimes I would serve him, and sometimes Jim would, would, would do things for me that were interesting. Um, but it, it was great. It started to build a friendship. It started to build uh, a, really great, and a really great friendship, and eventually I asked Jim if I could pray for him. And so I took some things back with myself and, and, and prayed for him in private. And then eventually I asked Jim, like, would, would it be okay if we prayed right now? And he said yes. And so we started praying together and, and we talked a little bit about kind of what his faith was like and what his experience of the church had been like. And it was just a really great relationship built on, on mutual friendship. It, it wasn't something that was forced. It wasn't, I mean, it was hard. Like, you have to work through those things. Um, but it was just a really great opportunity to see neighbor love in action. And uh, when I moved away, I, I moved back to Kansas and moved away from Denver. I, I lost contact with Jim, and so I, I can't tell you how he's doing today. Uh, but I still have a great deal of affection for him. I still say a prayer for him every once in a while. And I hope to see him again someday, you know, and, and be able to connect with him and, and, and yeah, continue to, to build on that, that neighborly love that we once had that the Lord allowed us to have as he led me through what I needed to see as, as the obedience to this great commandment to, to love our neighbors, love my neighbor, but love our neighbors as, as ourselves. Well, as I said before, we really learn what it means to love our neighbor by remembering uh, the way that God loved us. All right, his words that build us up in love and in truth, his action to save us from our sins by blessing us, blessing us with grace and mercy that we don't deserve. He sacrificed everything so that we could be with him. God really is our, our perfect example of what neighbor love is and what it means to be a great neighbor. And so as we come to our time of communion this morning, I would encourage all of you to, to first thank God for that example, thank God for, for the love that he extends to us. Um, and, then, and then in this time, also be thinking about, be praying about who you could pray for over these next 30 days. If you're someone like me who, who discovered that you didn't really have anyone you were aware of that was far from God, ask God to reveal that person to you, to, to bless you um, with that opportunity. If you do know who you want to pray for, start right now and raise that person up to the Lord. And, and as you think about it, Pray that, that one day, maybe in the near future or, or whatever God's timing is, that that person that you're praying for would be able to join you here in the seat next to you and, and share in, in, this, in communion, in, in this Lord's table that we're about to share in together as brothers and sisters in Christ. At our church, everyone who has confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior is welcome to join us for our communion celebration. In just a moment, we will together take the bread uh, and from the little cups that are outside on the table. If you happen to miss one, feel free to go and, and grab one. But uh, the way those cups work is you tear the top layer off, and there's a little wafer. You tear, tear the second layer, and there's juice inside. Uh, but we'll take, we'll take those together. We'll, we'll take the bread, and I'll read some scripture, and then we'll eat that together. And then uh, I'll read some additional scripture, and we'll, uh, we'll drink from the cup. Um, 
So yeah, if you've joined us in person today, you've got the, the, those little cups. Um, if there's anyone joining us th- that is not yet a believer in Jesus, I just want to say thank you for, for coming today. Thank you for trusting us with, uh, with this process that you're going on and on seeking out truth and learning more about the church. Uh, during this time, I would just encourage you to reflect on what you've heard today. Um, and, and, and if you want to try praying, like talk to the Lord, that, that's okay. Um, and, and we would love to, to hear from you. We would love to get a chance to get to know you, um, to buy you a cup of coffee or, or just hang out and, and chat with you a little bit. So please feel free to reach out to the church and let us know if you have any questions um, or anything you want to talk about. Um, but now would you all please uh, pray with me as we, as we prepare for communion. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for being our great neighbor. Um, for being the one who loves us so much that you pour out all of your words, all of your deeds in, in order to affirm us and love us and, and save us. Lord, that you gave, uh, gave yourself in, in just massively sacrificial ways through the, the, the giving of your son and, and his teaching and, and his death and life and resurrection. Lord, as we come to communion, we think about just how great of a neighbor you are to us, how much your love uh, means to us. Lord, as, as we turn our attention to this time, just uh, really move in our hearts uh, either the person that we need to get to know, uh, that we might be able to, to be a loving neighbor to them, or the person we already know and show us what steps we might be able to take uh, in order to further those relationships. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> On the night that he was betrayed, <clears throat> when he was gathered with his disciples, Jesus took bread. When he had broken, he, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, we do remember your sacrifice for us. We proclaim the truth of it to all who, who would hear, all who are gathered. And Lord, as we prepare ourselves to, to go back um, into, our, into our days, into our weeks this week, give us eyes to see and, and ears to hear and hearts to love those that are our neighbors. Um, let us know, Lord, truly who it is that you would have us slow down for and, and connect with and pray for. Lord, please, make, uh, please bless us with effective prayers that really call us um, to opportunities that we have to, to share your truth because everyone, Lord, everyone needs to know who you are, how you love us, and we're eager to, to connect with them in that way. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. <clears throat>